it's good to see everyone here. Uh, I just got back from Jakarta uh, yesterday, yesterday morning, five in the morning, and then I slept for many, many hours. <laughs> and I'm not fully uh, recovered yet, but yeah, Christian just scheduled me to preach today, so praise God. <laughs> yeah, man. So I went to Jakarta with a team of uh, 13 people, July 28th, August 4th. So I just got back, and then when the memories are fresh in my head, I just want to share some testimonies and stories and just fun things with you all. And uh, it was just my personal background. Uh, My name is Myunghwa, by the way. I'm one of the intern pastors at New Philly, Hillside. And yeah, <laughs> and I have a big heart for missions. So this trip to Jakarta was my 10th trip with New Philly alone. So yeah, it was like my anniversary. <laughs> I don't know. It was a lot of fun as usual. And yeah, I just have a lot of stories to share. Uh, just to give you some information about Jakarta. Jakarta is a capital city of Indonesia. And then Indonesia is known to be the most... Um, populated Muslim country, is that right? Uh, they have the most Muslim people there. <laughs> I don't know how to word it, but yeah, Jakarta, if you go there, you will be really surprised because the nice area, the rich area, you will find the nicest mansions of the world everywhere. Like, and all the members were saying that, wow, I feel like I'm in like uh, California or something, you know? It was really rich area, but on the other hand, there were like poor, extremely poor area, like near the dirty, dirty river. There were like huts everywhere, it's people living in like boxes and stuff. So it's just like extreme. It's a big city. And also two faced in uh, religion wise. Uh, it's a Muslim nation, obviously, but at the same time, the biggest moves of God is happening in Jakarta as well. There are crazy revival. There are a lot of uh, charismatic churches are um, getting bigger and bigger. Uh, revival happening. So it's very two-faced city. And then we just went to Jakarta to just bless the nation and sow into uh, the people there. And our team leader was Caleb. Caleb, the, the guy who led worship, he was our leader. I honor you, Caleb. <laughs> You're a wonderful leader. <laughs> and also, <laughs> and also, uh, along with me, Erin Samo went with us uh, as a preacher. So we had young uh, women, two preachers, right? So uh, it was Erin and I. Uh, we got to preach about 12, 13 times in total. So it was a short trip, but we had a lot of ministry opportunities. And along with the team, uh, we had the point person in Jakarta. Her name is Donna, Pastor Donna. Donna, her actual name is Donna, but we, we kept on saying Donna. But anyways, Pastor Donna, uh, Sister Donna is 32 years old. She's a beautiful single lady. If you are interested, move to Jakarta. Uh, Donna works for this seminary called ICAT, and we got to minister at ICAT a lot uh, on the first day and second day. So Donna organized the uh, schedule, and she accompanied with us to all the restaurants, and she showed us a lot of hospitality and love. So that's Pastor Donna, and also Pastor Tarigan. Pastor Tarigan's from different uh, part of uh, Indonesia. He's from city called Menan, Medan. Medan's from Sumatra Island. So he flew all the way to Jakarta just just to be an interpreter, just to be a translator for the team. So every opportunity that we got, so in 
I don't know, it's kind of odd, but in Jakarta, no one speaks English. So they only speak Indonesian. So without Pastor Tarigan, we were like disabled. We couldn't communicate at all. Of course, Hewan helped us a lot because Hewan grew up in Indonesia for 15 years. So she gave us help here and there. But without Pastor Tarigan, our ministry was just impossible. And he was such a great man of God. And he's a harabaji. He's like in... I guess mid 60s, he's obviously old man, but he just showed a lot of love to the team. He was always with us. He was like a 14th member of the team. So Pastor Tarigan and Donna, these names will come out a lot. So just to give you information. Yeah, Pastor Tarigan, we loved him. We all cried at the airport. Oh, Pastor Tarigan, bye. <laughs> We're like crying. It was amazing. All right, day one. Yeah, I'm just, oh, oh and then just, um, before I start, I just want to tell you that this is my personal story. So if you ask other team members uh, on the same team, they might give you different stories. But this is more about my co- personal convictions, my personal les- lessons that I learned. Uh, some of it is as a team, but I just want to tell you that this could be just my thing. Okay, so don't get me wrong. So, yeah, just give that. And day one, we were at this school called Ika, Ika Seminary. It stands for something, I forget. So we went there as a first ministry opportunities. We were all like hyped up, we were all like fire, fire, you know. And then we went to Ika, and then the background of Ika, the seminary, uh, is the students are extremely poor. So they all come from this poor uh, household. So most of them, they got rejected by the family, uh, just about their conversion to Christianity and whatnot. And they are mostly persecuted persecuted students. So we knew that uh, in advance. And I had wanted to uh, speak to them because I'm, I also go to seminary. And I'm not like persecuted in my house, but uh, none of my family members are Christian. So I could kind of relate to, the, to their situation. So even before I got there, I wanted to uh, minister to them. So I just stepped up and I just prepared a message and I got to see them, right? So it was like an orientation. Even before the semester started, it was just orientation. And uh, we didn't know that, but students were so steep. They were like so nervous. So... Uh, we just thought the Indonesians are all like that, but it was because they just entered the school and they don't really know what's going on there. So that kind, that kind of circumstance of students were like, you know, in their choir robes. I think that's the, their school uniform, but it's like so hot, but they were all wearing the silk choir robes. And then they were just sitting so stiff and like stern that were like kind of like, okay, let's do PBS. <laughs> you know, it was a little difficult, but so... The building, they had two really ghetto buildings, but uh, one, the MPWM, uh, the missions organization that this Jaesongdo church has connection with, they donated, donated the building. So they built that building for the school. So they had this plaque on the wall, and it was all fancy. Pastor Chin Su Hang, our lead pastor's name was on it. And another building was also donated by another Korean church. So that's all they had. So uh, classrooms and everything was kind of uh, just poor. But then Donas shared with me that uh, ICAD accepts the students who don't even have money. They just accept them. They give education for free, and then the school sends them out. And then you know, it's, they just had great spirit and heart in that sense. And when we got there... Uh, we started doing VBS, and they were starting to ease up a little bit. And then I just wanted to preach about hope. So I just preached about how God just loves using small people to do great things. 
how God loves just using weak people to do mighty things and things like that. You, how God uses poor people to do glorious things, things like that. And I was just sharing my testimony, and I also talked about um, uh, my school, my undergraduate. My undergraduate. Uh, I went to Ihua Women's University. Uh, a lot of you know, but this school began with one missionary and one girl, one student, uh, one orphan from the street. And when this missionary came into Korea about 120 years ago, she just wanted to start educating the girls. So back then in Korea, girls were not allowed to go into school. They were just, you know, doing house chores and whatnot. But the missionary just had a great heart for the orphans in Korea. It was right after the war and stuff. So she started the school with one student and one teacher, her, you know, herself. And now it has 20,000 girls in this school, and it's one of the biggest women's universities uh, in the world, and it's a, it's a great school. So I just kind of spoke that as a prophetic word uh, over ICAD, that ICAD, even though it's small right now, that it will become like, you know, great school that will produce a lot of new generations. So I got to preach there, and a lot of uh, students, I could see that in their eyes they were responding, like, you know, Jesus is the hope of glory. So they were just receiving that hope as theirs. And it was really encouraging to see. And then we had altar call. And a lot of students came out in their choir robes. And then it's really interesting because all the Indonesians at the altar, uh, all they do is this. They're very, like, I don't know, very, very stiff. Uh, so they were all, like, standing like this, crying. There were a lot of inner healing going on. Uh, God really touched them mightily, uh, healed a lot of hearts. A lot of tears. Uh, one girl just fell out of nowhere and no one caught her. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and things like that. So ICAD was like that. And then first day was pretty easy, right? Just one ministry with students. Uh, and then the second day, we had a morning, early morning service with the same students. It was 5 a.m. in the morning. And then we had to wake up like 4 a.m., right? And we got to bed at like midnight. They were all like tired. Uh, things like that, but we did not know what was coming up, okay? So we had the ICAT early morning service at 5 a.m., and then, so throughout the night, for that four-hour window of sleep, so we went to bed. They had this uh, guest room prepared, so I, Erin, and Christina Sanders, and Grace Greer, we got to room together, right? And then we all lie down, we're kind of like, or sticky, whatever, but we just went to bed because we were tired and we had to wake up early. So we were all like lying down and then we just went to bed. And like one in the one in one a.m., like I start scratching my body like crazy because just mosquitoes just had like a like a feast over Erin and I, right? And then we just knew in the darkness it was like pitch dark. We couldn't even look at each other, but we knew that I knew Erin was scratching my body like crazy, and Erin knew that I was scratching my body like ah, you know. And then I just woke up in like 2 a.m. and I just had to take a shower because I couldn't stand it. And it was like 4 a.m. right after all. And then Erin, Samo, and, um, and I we got just massively attacked. We just know we just knew that those mosquitoes were like. Demonic, right? And then, <laughs> it was demonic because I got like 30 something mosquito bites all over my body. 30 something. Someone, someone said, whoa, okay. It was like crazy, whoa. And then Erin Samo, she started covering her body. She covered her legs and arms, everything, but she got beaten up on her face. So her eyelid was like swollen like this. It was mad demonic. Anyways, we got mad attacked, but there was a reason why. Anyways, in the morning service, Erin Samo spoke about love, uh, cause we just realized that 
there's not much love flowing in the room. So we just wanted to just encourage everyone to just uh, love one another, especially between the second year, third year students and the first year new students, right? And I heard that uh, some of the seniors, some of the older kids were kind of like being called purposely to the new students just to, I guess, train them. Just to, I don't know. So you know how, you know, they kept going on at the beginning. So we just wanted to encourage everyone to love. So Erin Samo spoke on love, and it was really powerful. And we had the senior, the older uh, students. Uh, there were like few of them, like 10 of them. We had them lay hands and pray for the new students. But then at the beginning, they were all like standing at the corner, like crossing their arms like this. I'm not praying for them, you know. <laughs> you know, they were like kind of like not responding. So we kind of dragged one by one. And then my tactic was I prayed for the older student first. And then I encouraged that girl or boy to go pray for the younger one. Does that make sense? I give first and then she just receives and then she goes to give. Does that make sense? So that was my tactic. So we just got to pray for a bunch of new students and there was crying a lot of, again, inner healing going on. And it was really powerful to, to see them loving each other. Uh, so building up each other, edifying each other. So that was the morning. But right after that, we found out that um, there's a pastor named Pastor Monika. Uh, he's a gentleman. He oversees seven different churches and ministries in Jakarta. And then we knew that we were going to minister with him, but we didn't know that he was going to take us to all seven churches. So what happened was he wanted to, he wanted to take us to four of his ministries that day. So we woke up four in the morning, and then he was like, okay, ready? Let's go. <laughs> Second, church. Go, go, go. And then we just got on the uh, vans, and then we didn't know what was happening. And then in order to prepare sermons, we kind of got to have an idea about the church, you know? Who's the audience? What kind of background and things like that? But whenever I or Erin will ask uh, Pastor Monica, he would be like, it's a church, it's a church. Like, <laughs> young, young people, young people. And that was it. Like, oh, he, he would say like, old, old. Go, go. Like, he wouldn't give us any information. That was just his personality, I think. He was like so choleric, but different type of choleric than Pastor Christian. Because Pastor Christian gives us a lot of information and gives us instructions, but he was just totally like, just go do it. Like, it's church, go. <laughs> so it was like kind of difficult, but so what we had to do was we just went to church, and then as they were worshiping, as they were doing VVS, in that like 20 minute window, we, I, I had to just jot down whatever message I got, and then I just had to go up and preach, right? Mission-style preaching, and then I learned a lot through that, but each time, Holy Spirit really um, just released uh, what was needed at each church. So praise God for that, and Erin Samo as well, she just spoke so right on, like, all the things that she preached, we never, like, repeated any of the sermons. We always got new things, we always preached on new things, but it was, like, just for each group, each community. So it was very powerful. So the second church we were uh, taken to was, so we referred to this church, uh, leprosy church, because most of the members at the church, they used to have leprosy. So if you look at their hands, all the hands are like stuck together. They don't have fingers. And then they worship God like this. And it was so powerful just for them. And then the crew was really old. So youngest person will be like late 50s. All the harmony harabs, grandma, grandpas, they all gather. And they, even when we were doing VVS, they would like do it. They would like do it with such a big smile on their faces. It was really beautiful. 
Just so beautiful. And then, oh, the important part was God healed them of leprosy. So that's how the church got built on. So that's why they gather. And in the Muslim village, they gather and worship Jesus because they got healed. Because God healed them, right? So old people gather. And we had no idea. So Erin Samo, uh, she got ready to preach. She was preparing her sermon. And, um, and then I think we got ministered to more than we got to minister to them. I think to see them so joyful at their old ages and in their uh, physical hardships was just really touching our hearts. And after VBS, Aaron Samo preached about forgiveness. And a lot of them had someone they, uh, they couldn't forgive, I guess. So a lot of them raised their hands, and then we took time to pray for them. And they were able to forgive verbally uh, the person, you know, people that, they hurt, that uh, hurt them. So forgiveness was released, and then... Right after, Aaron Samo asked the audience, if there is anyone with physical pain, we want to pray for you. Uh, just raise your hands. Because the people were so old, we didn't even want you know, to uh, ask them to come to the front. Because what if they fall or something? Because <laughs> they were so old. So if you have any physical pain, raise your hand. And then there were like a handful of people. And I want to share two most powerful healings that we've seen. We've seen. And... There was a harmony right in front. There was a grandma, and then I just went up to her, and oh, sakit, sakit, sakit means pain in Indonesian. I asked sakit, sakit, and I did the sakit, and then she pointed at her leg, right? Pointed at her left knee, and then she pointed at her mukbal, mukbal is what? No, the the stick stuff, crutches, right? She had a crutch. And then she pointed at her, her, at her knee, right? So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And then it's something. Yeah, Holy Spirit just stirred in my heart. I was just reminded of the great healing that we saw at Niagara. Uh, just for your information, some of you were not there. So at Niagara, at the um, last uh, worship service, so throughout the, throughout the conference, there was, there was this guy named Richard. I don't know. Where he's from, he's from LA. But Richard was at conference the whole time for three, four days. But he couldn't walk straight, so he walked very uncomfortably, right? We've all seen it throughout the conference, and so many people went up to him and prayed for him. But I personally didn't know what was going on with him. I just secretly prayed for him, right? And then a lot of us saw him not being able to walk throughout the whole conference, and it actually got worse and worse. So I was just wondering what's going on with this guy. And at the last service, Pastor Benjamin, uh, Pastor Benjamin, uh, before that service, he had prayed for him before. But I, I guess it didn't get better. So Pastor Ben called him out to the altar. Richard, come out. Oh, God's going to heal you. you know? And then he, I guess, came out in faith. And then, so we were just worshiping. We were singing, oh, happy day. And everyone was like worshiping. And then, uh, Pastor Benjamin started to pray for this guy, and then he started pacing back and forth. So I was at the balcony interceding for the whole crowd, so I was able to see everything so clearly. And when I, when I saw him, like, you know, like, moving back and forth, I was like, oh, snap, oh, snap, what's going on? And then I was, like, praying for him, too. And then he started, like, uh, walking all the way. Like across the stage, like not crippling, not not crippled. He was like able to walk normally. And then a second after, he started running with his both hands raised, and then he started bawling right? as he was running and like shouting with joy, whatever. I was like, 
And then the whole room, the people all saw him not being able to walk throughout the conference, right? So it was like the most glorious way of just healing him in front of everyone. It was not only his testimony, it was a testimony of all, right? So the whole room, when he started running, man, it got crazy. And everyone started jumping up and down. And my brother, my brother, Doug, Doug was like on the, on the chair, arm, you know, the armrests of the chair. He went up there and he started like dancing. It was like, you know, being so silly, but it was like such a crazy moment. And then I, and though what happened was he had gout, G-O-U-T, gout. So it's like a, it's a disease. <laughs> so it locks up your uh, knees and your uh, joints. So you, that, that's why he wasn't able to walk for last like five years. He had gout for five years. And then he said that right before he came to conference, his knees were totally like, locked up. So he, that's why he couldn't walk. He couldn't even move because gout causes a lot of pain. Um, it's tremendous pain. And then when he woke up that morning, that morning of healing, that, that when he woke up in the morning, he said he couldn't even move anything. So he was, he was carried out of the bed uh, by his roommate, and then he got carried to the hospital uh, in the ER, and then he got some whatever tests, and then he couldn't walk still. Right? And then he got carried back to the service. That's when God healed him like completely. And for us to see him like running around like that, it was like, such a joy. I was Jesus showing up, you know, touching him. And because I saw that testimony, and personally it meant a lot, because we've been contending for, like, healing, but I didn't really see anything, like, uh, dramatic like that. So I just had to see it personally. And then after I saw that, God just raised my faith about me healing, like, to, to the max. So whenever someone like, asks me to pray for their knees, it just stirs up my faith. I just know that God can do that. I just know that, okay, God will do it. Okay, I got this. You know, it just excites me. And then when the grandma pointed at her knee, I just knew, okay, this is it. And then I just laid hand, and then I started praying. And I literally sensed her knee getting unlocked. I just sensed the sensation, right? And then she was just standing still, but I could feel the knee like moving around. like And then... After a second, uh, she testified in front of the crowd. She came out without the crutch. She came to the altar, and then she was doing this. It wasn't like that she was able to run or anything, but the reason why I knew it was a powerful healing was her daughter sitting next to her started crying, started like, like bawling her eyes out. She was like, oh, she was like, like holding her mom, and then she was like, so, so joyful. So I knew wow, this was healing. She couldn't walk without the crutch, right? So that was one dramatic healing. Praise God for that. Woo! And, and also, as Caleb briefly mentioned, there was a, a, a gentleman, old gentleman at the back, and his eyes were covered with this foggy, unclean layer. You know, you know what I mean? Like unclear eyes. And she, he couldn't see. So he would see four different visions when he looks at something. So he couldn't really see clearly. So our sister Diana got to pray for him. And then as she was laying hands and praying, he, she literally saw that layer coming off of his, his eyes. And then right after, he was like, was like, I can see, I can see. And then, praise God. <laughs> you know, it was like amazing healing. We got to uh, see that. Um, so God totally answered our prayers in that way. He released healing, and that church was such a just crazy encouragement to all of us, the leprosy church. I mean, healed of leprosy church, right? So that was our leprosy church. And then, 
Anyways, after that, we got to visit three more churches that day. And I'm not going to mention all of them, but there were like seven people at third one, eight people at fourth one, and there were like about 15 people at the last one. So a lot of times, we almost always, we outnumber the crowd. We outnumber the audience. But it was challenging because we were performing the skit, which... Uh, requires like 10 people involved, but then there's only like seven people watching. You know what I'm saying? It's, it could be very discouraging, but uh, we just pushed through, and then we were just observing how the churches are like here, and they were just learning uh, so much things. For example, what I could discern from all these different churches was totally um, religious spirit. It was very thick. Uh, it could be influenced from uh, Muslim. Muslim is known as you know, religion of fear, uh, sometimes. So also cultural Christianity. It was just their culture. It was just family thing. It was like just nominal Christian, you know. So they go to church, but there's no really Holy Spirit involved or Jesus' grace involved. It was like cultural Christianity. And also fear of men, because a lot of times these churches were surrounded with these mosques and the prayer, Muslim prayer houses, whatever. So uh, Aaron will be preaching, and we will hear the Muslim chanting. You know, you know their prayer time five times a day. We will just hear them chanting and it's so loud. And the spiritual atmosphere is just really oppressive, and then it was really dark. So that was very hard. And just, just you know, coming from the circumstances, there was definitely fear of men, fear of you know other religions or whatnot. Uh, absolutely, there was that. And then also. Wrong type of fear of God. Not a good fear of God, but wrong type of understanding who God is. It was totally just hindering people from intimacy. There was no sense of intimacy or love with God, but there was more of like just fear of God. There was like God who punishes, you know, so things like that. And then there was absolutely no freedom in their worship. Um, yeah, it was very hard to experience the freedom of worship. So we missed New Philly a lot. So there were, uh, yeah, so, some things that we were able to observe. And then, yeah, the day two, the killer day, uh, passed by somehow. And then our third day arrived. It gets more exciting. Uh, third day, we got to visit this Bible academy. It was just like Ikal, but it was, you know, a very small building, very small room. There were about like 20 plus 20 something teenagers there. And then similar circumstances. They're from poor families and they live there and they're persecuted, rejected by family. Just similar circumstances and they just loved us. They just loved us a lot. So from the beginning, they were just soaking in everything. Like everything we, we, we are saying, like they were just observing it all in. And it was really, just, they were really cute. Okay? And then uh, uh, I got to preach again. So I spoke about God's acceptance and love. So before you do anything, God loves you. God accepts you. So it's not based on your performance, but it's based on God's love. And... Uh, what was funny was it was hard to communicate and relate with them because there was t- definitely a language barrier. And Pastor Tarigan was being faithful in his translation, but I couldn't he- understand any single thing he was explaining. So I was like wondering, is it being communicated well? You know. But then what was funny was uh, as I was speaking up there, uh, I I started to open myself up and I share some embarrassing stories about myself and they just loved it. So I talked about my first crush on mission trip <laughs> and then they were all like loving it. They were like, oh, their eyes were like glowing. That's, that's how I knew, oh, okay, Pastor Arigan, you're doing a good job, you know? And then, 
right after I talked about how when we walk into our own houses, when we walk into uh, our father's house, we just open the refrigerator and we eat whatever we find. We sit on the couch, we turn on the TV, we do whatever we want to do because we are in father's house, you know? And then they were all like, oh, right, right. And then that's how I kind of like knew about those silly things. Uh, you know, they were, oh, they are getting it, they were getting it. And the need for father's love was the same. In Indonesia, in Jakarta, in Korea, it was the same. The need for the love of the father uh, was definitely there. So I just spoke how God's love over them. And uh, yeah, and then I don't know if you guys watched The Finger of God, the movie. Oh, it was the second movie of, what was the first one? Oh, second one was. Oh, yeah, Furious Love, right. The Finger of God movie, it's on YouTube, so check it out. It's a really great movie. It's like a documentary of how God is moving in the world in, like, signs and wonders and miracles. It's a really great film. So it's a documentary. And then the second one is called Furious Love, that God's love, nothing can stop it, nothing can hinder it. And God's furious love is really described well in the movie. It could freak you out a little bit, but it's happening all over the world, right? And in the movie, it just um, features this young Indonesian preacher. I forget his name, but it's something Abraham, I think. Uh, Something Abraham pastor, and then he uh, has a mega church in in Jakarta. And then we didn't get to see him, but I heard that his uh, church is very like thriving church. It's like getting bigger and bigger. And what we saw in the film was when he was preaching, when he made an altar call, like literally hundreds of people ran to the altar, like for their life, just to meet Jesus, you know. And then it just really like spoke to me, like, oh, that's a hunger that's in Jakarta. And then ironically, we are here, but we cannot really see that hunger, right? So I was just kind of like encouraging the young people to imagine themselves on the, on the stage just like he does, you know? And then I was just encouraging them to just envision themselves in that situation, at just being used as a minister of gospel. And then I made an altar call. If you want to be just like the vision that you imagined, uh, come to the altar and for the first time, it was 100% response altar call. So everyone came to the altar, and everyone got on their knees, and they just gave their future to the Lord. Right? It was mad beautiful. I almost started crying, and I was like, oh, praise God. You know, it was a really, really powerful time. We made them all stand up, and then we started anointing them and praying for them. And, yeah, fire of God fell, definitely fell. And a lot of students, they got slain under the power. They were just resting on the floor, crying. And it was just really good time. Uh, just, just equip them to empower them. And Holy Spirit just did amazing things in their hearts. And oh, there was uh, this man. It's just funny, funny uh, story. But there was this man who accompanied us as a driver. His name's Castro. But Castro was uh, Pastor Donna's brother-in-law. Is that correct? Uh, Pastor Donna's brother-in-law. And then he just had great heart. Like he blessed the team like amazingly like he just blessed us so much since Castro right Castro he has a smiley face he never uh, make mean face he just blessed us so much and Jakarta team they all know what I'm saying and Castro was I even thought that he was an angel or something like, I seriously he could be an angel that got sent to us like Castro was amazing and then whenever someone will 
someone will fall, Castro was just there. So we didn't even expect the falling. So we were just all praying. And then Castro was there to catch the first student who just fell, right? And I was like, so, like, Castro was an angel. Like, <laughs> but then Castro was like totally on point. He just knew that who was going to fall. And he was just, just there to catch, right? And it was, it was like so amazing. And Castro does another, other things too. Uh, I'm not sure more. But he was like so on point. And Castro blessed us in that way. Anyways, we got out of the Bible Academy. Uh, we were we had busy schedule because Pastor Monique wanted us to visit the three uh, rest of his ministries. <laughs> so after the Bible Academy, uh, we went to this small church, and we had two different services at the same church. Second group, we had what a uh, group of students from Papua. So we sent another team to West Papua. So the east side of it is known as Papua New Guinea. And then the west part, it belongs to Indonesia. So the students uh, that were gathered there, they were from West Papua. And they just look different. They just look uh, different. And they were gathered like 10 to 12 of them. And then we did our thing. And then they got touched. And it was good. And then th- another next group was, we referred to them as crazy girls. There's a reason why. <laughs> the crazy girls. Um, it was like service with young girls, like teenager, 13 to like 12 to 17 year old girls. And they were literally crazy. They were so cute, so love, so lovely. And they just loved us a lot. They knew about Korean dramas. They were talking about like boys over flowers. If you know what that is, go to, go for the namja. They were talking about kujumpyo and they were going crazy. And they just loved us a lot. And then they even prepared like MCs and they practiced, right? So in their broken English, they were introducing each other. They were like leading the way. They were praying in English and stuff. It was really cute. And it was a big night because second day and third day were like the biggest. We had most ministries and we were expecting something really big that night. It's day three. And after that, it kind of, uh, we don't have many ministries, like two max like each day, like one or two, even resting days. So we knew that third night was going to be the biggest night. And then the number of the crowd, it was like 20 to 30. It was pretty big for us because we've been seeing like eight or seven or even six. So it was a pretty big crowd. And then it was my turn to preach, right? So this is a personal part, but it was a big night. And then I was very pressured. I felt so much pressure on me. I was like so intimidated by the circumstance, right? And I felt like, man, I got to drop something big tonight. I got to, you know, preach some good message tonight. I, I, you know how... It's not that I preach in order to impress people. It's not that, but you just feel the pressure on you. If, yeah, think about if you are the one person who's in charge of the whole night, like auto call and preaching and everything, it just gives you a lot of pressure. And I just wasn't enjoying the girls, you know, no matter how they were, how cute they were. I couldn't really pay attention to that because my sermon was just not getting done. And I couldn't even like, um, decide what to preach on. Even when the service started, when they were doing their cute emceeing things or whatnot, I was totally like, God, what should I preach about? Like, it just wouldn't flow, right? And then it was different than other times. So I was like struggling and struggling. And finally, God um, tells me to just share my stories as an older sister. And I was like, no, Lord. Are you kidding me? Like, that was my response, honestly. Honest, honestly, I was like, no way. Everyone's expecting so much, and you want me to, to share my stories? And I was like, 
Are you kidding me, Lord? <laughs> and I just started praying. Like, I thought it was just my flesh and whatever. So I started praying, and then I wouldn't just get anything. And it was just like getting clearer and clearer. Like, Myung-ha, just go share your testimonies and share your life with your sisters. And what I learned from that experience, so I ended up just sharing my testimonies, uh, how I overcame bulimia, how God uh, healed my heart after getting like um, bullied by my friends, Wangta incident, whatever. So I just shared a couple of my stories, and it wasn't even organized well, so it was so difficult. I was struggling uh, as I was sharing, but uh, what I learned from that experience was this, ministering out of insecurity, uh, that's definitely a battle for me and for a lot of preachers and for a lot of people just in general at church. So just ministering out of insecurity. So the background is like this. So I went to Philippines in uh, about six months ago. So that was my last mission trip. And I went to Philippines with um, Caleb was a leader. And I was preacher along with Pastor Christian. So it was Christian and I who were supposed to preach. And we only had four services where someone had to preach. So uh, not that Christian didn't want me to preach or anything like that, but we just didn't have not enough opportunities, right? So Christian ended up taking all four of them. And my title was a preacher, but I never got to preach. I never got to hold a mic. You guys get that? So after the trip, I came back. And then I was really troubled in my heart. I was like very insecure about my calling as a preacher, my calling as a speaker, as a minister. Everything just started to just make me confused and just insecure. And I think it's a natural thing as a human, you know. So I think that kind of affected me too. So God was like, no, why are you ministering uh, out of insecurity? Like, no matter how crappy message you preach, it's okay, you know. You know how... God was like, just minister to me. Why are you trying to impress people? Why are you, um, you know, ministering out of your insecurity? Like, I was like, oh, Lord, you know? And the night ended up being quite successful. So girls came out, and then they got touched, and God did what he wanted to do. But what if I just went for, like, a sermon about fire? What if I just went for a sermon that sounds cool? Uh, just to impress the team, just to impress the people, you know? What if I did that? And then God just really reminded me of King Saul. King Saul, he feared men. Um, even though King David committed murder, he was idolat- he committed adultery, uh, Bathsheba and everything, but God told him that you are the man after my own heart. But if you look at Saul, he didn't do anything crazy, but he feared the man. So he offered the unlawful sacrifice. Uh, he didn't wait for uh, Prophet Samuel because he feared the people there. Because he was afraid that he was going to lose. He was afraid that people were going to criticize him. You know, It was out of his insecurity that he had to do the unlawful sacrifice. And also, after he struck the Philistines, God told him to kill everyone. Kill everything, anything that belongs to the Philistines, and he didn't. He saved the best flocks, best sheep, best whatever. He saved it, um, quote-unquote, to sacrifice to the Lord, to bring to the Lord. But Samuel just confronted him, just rebuked him. Um, Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he did it because he feared the man, because he's a mighty man in the army. They started to bring in 
bring all these alive animals, and they were saying, oh, we're, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. So he didn't have courage to confront those people, so he just kind of let it in. He kind of got on that, you know, uh, compromising. You know what I'm saying? So just fear of men and performance mentality, like, I'm doing this to impress people, or am I doing this to just, just to glorify God, you know? And I believe it's everyone's struggle. And as, as, as I was talking with Erin Samuel, she had the same struggles. And um, it was kind of funny because Erin was sharing how she went to the, this conference, big conference, it's at, uh, Voice, of the, Voice of the Apostles. It's a big conference in the States. And then she went there with Christian last year. And then she was sharing how Cheon, if you don't know who he is, he's a big name guy. He's a big name preacher. He's a mighty man of God. And then he came on the stage right after Bill Johnson preached. And then he was like half joking me, talking about how he feels so insecure. Like, who wants to preach right after Bill Johnson? Who made this schedule? And he was like half joking me, like talking about it. But it just totally shows us how every single person struggles with that insecurity, you know. And who, honestly, who wants to preach, who wants to take turns preaching with Christian, you know? I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know? It, it kind of you know, just, you know, shows that, oh, everyone struggles with this. And as I go up on the higher level of authority, I will struggle with this even more. You know, it's not going to get any less, but it's going get, to get worse, you know? I'm going to struggle with this even more. And I was just thinking, man... I gotta get out of this, right? And then that night, Erin and I, we prayed together. We just prayed that God just give us the heart just to bless you, not to impress people, not to perform, but just to worship you. And we just prayed that over each other. And that was the lesson that I learned. Personally, as a young woman preacher, I struggle with that. Uh, I believe a lot of us in this room, even as a small group leader, even as, um, different, it's in different ministries, we have just that we, I believe everyone struggles with that. You know, oh, you know, the smoke of leader before I for this person. Or, you know, it's this tendency to prepare, tendency to, you know, uh, not prepare, but compare, I'm sorry. <laughs> tendency to compare us with other people and things like that. So that was the biggest lesson that I learned uh, personally. And and that's so true because we've seen so many times because of fear of men. Like how many abortions are happening because of fear of men? Because they cannot tell their parents. Because they cannot uh, tell their friends about it. They just abort the baby. How many adulterous relationships happening because of fear of rejection? It's fear of men, you know? And just because it's embarrassing, I cannot confront that person. That's fear of men. Because it's awkward, I cannot... You know, blah, blah, blah. It's all fear of man. It's all related to that. And that's why God um, kept him so, I mean, King Saul, God was serious about it. So if you fear man, I cannot use you. And that's how King Saul lost his throne. That's how he lost the kingship, right? And it's a big thing. And it's a bigger, big struggle that we all have to go through as we go higher and higher in our uh, spiritual authority and leadership. So I just wanted to share that. Anyways... I shared my stories, <laughs> not about fire of God, not about baptism of spirit, nothing like that. I simply shared my testimony, and God used it as it is. 
And girls responded. And at the end, even though it was not relevant at all, I just preached a bit about how God is looking for the true worshipers. And I just made a phone call. Not phone call. Oh, my goodness. What's going on? I made an auto call. What did I say? Oh, man. I just made an auto call for the worshipers. And at the beginning, when we were doing the opening praise, they were all like, um, self-conscious about each other and they wouldn't like, you know, worship with their hearts. But at the end, they were just pouring their hearts out. I could see that coming. So we, I made an altar call and then t- about 10 of the girls came out and they got powerfully touched. And then later we realized as we were having late dinner, they were just singing and then they were like a choir. They were amazing singers and Definitely there was a spirit of freedom and worshipers in each of them. So it was really just, uh, as God ordained, it was really divine. It was a very beautiful night. Okay. Man, I got to go through faster. <laughs> All right. Day four, almost there. Day four was Sunday, right? And then even before the trip started, we, Erin and I, we prayed for one another about like spirit, like religious spirits and oppositions about women preachers. And because Erin's so young and I'm so young too, I'm 24, Erin's 26. So us going there and doing the Sunday service, it's kind of, you know, it's a big thing. So we've been praying about it and then guess what? The um, church that we visited on Sunday, so he saw me and then Caleb introduced me as a pastor Myung-hwa. He didn't even look at me. <laughs> he didn't even look at me and he shook my hand like half heartedly and then he just walked away, right? And then when Caleb told him that a woman preacher, uh, Aaron, is speaking, he totally couldn't hide his face. So his face was not like welcoming at all. And then we could totally sense that rejection, right? young women, like that kind of thing. So we were kind of like heartbroken, but at the same time, what I um, observed in my heart was my attitude to him was totally not right because he was so mean to us like that. He was like so like despising us. I started doing the same thing. Like I found myself being mean to him, being not respectful to him. And God was like, the fact that he's, religious or whatever doesn't qualify you not to love him i I was like oh snap lord and he was like the fact that he's mean to you it doesn't make any difference in your calling to bless him and love him today and i was like okay lord but then it was so hard to like bless him it was so hard to be nice to him because he wasn't nice to me and it was like the whole thing about love and erin samo for a total conviction he preached about love uh, at the church and yeah, another personal conviction. Wow, I am called to love and bless this church and bless this person. No matter what, no matter how they treat me, no matter how, you know, give me dirty looks, whatever, <laughs> I just got to bless and love them, right? And then there was another thing that I learned. And then someone preached on a wonderful message, and the team was moving in words of knowledge. We got to pray for some people. Uh, it was kind of difficult to go through, but... Man, it was a long service. I totally understood how newcomers would feel in New Philly. It was like singing and doing something else, singing, doing something else. It was like never-ending service, but we got through it. And yeah, and then that night we had the most exciting uh, ministry ever. Uh, it was a radio station. We got to be featured at a radio show, right? It's known to be a Christian radio station, but I looked at the website. It's really, it's not really, it's not really. It's like a covert 
Christian, whatever, you know. So it was that. So we were given an hour to speak. And Caleb and Erin, they got mics, and then everyone else was interceding. And also we sang two songs there. So when we got there, oh, it was so funny because Caleb got introduced as a, as a pastor. <laughs> and Erin was introduced as his wife. <laughs> And we were introduced as some of the Ika students. So it was all wrong information, but we didn't care. We just took advantage of the time. <laughs> we sang Hosanna at the beginning. And then we, Erin Samo spoke about love of God. And it was really powerful. And she got to counsel two listeners who called in. And then her answers were just right on. It was like so powerful. And at the end, we sang Victory together, a song written by our brother Herman from OEM. And then we sang victory together. I don't know how it sounded, but we loved it. We enjoyed it. And then, you know what? So we asked them, like, oh, how many people tuned in tonight? And they said 300. And we were like, oh, praise God. And then it wasn't, it wasn't that. 300,000 people were listening. Whoa. You know how, <laughs> you know how we always had small crowd of people, right? Seven, eight, 12, 15. Back to eight, you know? Well, we were kind of tired of that, but God was like, here it is, 300,000 people, they were listening to you guys. And uh, we were like, oh, we're so proud. <laughs> we were like really happy, and that was really, really fun. And can you imagine how many people got touched by the message, you know? It's us, us singing victory over the land of Indonesia. It was just amazing. And then afterwards, we had dinner at uh, KFC. It was like 1 a.m. But anyways, they bought us, they treated us to dinner, right? And then KFC, <laughs> eating chickens. And there were like seven of these men who are hosting the shows on the radio station. And I didn't really get to meet them. But uh, I got to hear that all of them, they are the alumni from ICAT. They all graduated from ICAT, and then they are like men of influence in Jakarta. They are big businessmen, and they are like professors, and they are just big name people, people of influence in the city. So we got to connect with all these great men, you know. And one of them was saying that they're, he was going to visit Busan this week. And I was like, oh, that's my hometown. And we got to like connect a little bit. It was like really powerful time. And we just realized that, wow, we're impacting, you're impacting the city and nation. It was a really powerful time. And day five was resting day. We got to meet up with Hewan's parents uh, who lives there. And they treated us to dinner, Indonesian dinner. We ate with our fingers. It was an adventure. <laughs> it was really good. And day six, we had a, a, the last day. <laughs> Everyone's tired. <laughs> the last day, we had this prayer meeting, right? So Pastor Tarigan, he said he had a friend who had a church there. And then we went there. And the, my prayer on the way was this. God, I don't care how small the crowd is. I don't care about it anymore, but God, I just show up in power and just rock them. That was my prayer because I kind of expected small crew. It was during the day, during the weekday, so everyone works, right? So I went there, and then guess what? There were three people. There were three people, old ladies and young boy or whatever, and these six uh, not three people, six people. There were six people there, and then God was like, if these six people rise up as intercessors for this nation, Jakarta and Indonesia will change. They will change the land, so minister to them. And I was like, very convicted. So in front of six people, we did the skit. <laughs> we did the body worship. <laughs> and we all did it. And then I preached about uh, prayer, how prayer has so much authority and power. And, we, uh, and then the pastor of this church, he was sitting in the front, 
And he was just giving me the meanest look on his face. He was literally giving me this blank face. And I knew that he didn't like me from the beginning. And then as soon as I called everyone up to pray for Indonesia together, he entered into the altar and he started crying. So I knew that all oh, anointing is flowing, you know. The only thing that can touch the heart and heart of the man is, especially old man, it's anointing. It's called presence of God. So I knew that, oh, presence of God is here. And then we started praying uh, on behalf of the nation and ancestors, whatever. And then they were just praying their heart out. And it was so beautiful, right? And then uh, the pastor totally blessed me by crying. And also, I got to pray for this boy. And then, you know how in your prayer, it's not like I touch and then they fall. It's not like that. It's like I start praying. The person come, but all of a sudden, they start breathing weirdly. Like, they breathe, like, strangely. <laughs> and then, like, 10 seconds later, they get, like, man, touched and slain or whatever. That's the best. That was, like, the best part. Anyways, I loved it. The boy got totally blessed and rocked. And then there was one lady on the ground, and I went there, and I laid my hand on her, and she started, um, like, screaming out these Indonesian words, which I didn't understand. But later I uh, heard that she was shouting out, forgive me, forgive me, like on top of her lungs. And then all of a sudden she started coughing and vomiting, right? And... We learned that, I knew that I've seen some cases like that. So sometimes deliverance, like unclean spirits, like demons, whatever, they come out in a physical form. So people cough, people vomit. Sometimes they like uh, sweat like crazy, like literally dripping. It comes in a different forms, but I knew that that was like a demon trying to come out, right? And then we were like, oh, get, get, a, get a trash can, get a trash can. And then Castro, <laughs> out of nowhere, was there with the plastic bag. <laughs> And oh, here's our angel. And they came and totally got everything. Anyways, Castro was amazing. So we got to pray for her and he got, she got delivered. And her story was very amazing because she, uh, married twice. So first marriage was this, was with this Muslim guy, Muslim guy. And then she cheated on him several times. That was her lifestyle. And then she dumped him, right? And she got divorced. And then the second marriage, she married Christian men. Uh, and then he started cheating on her. And he left her about a couple months ago. So she totally thought it was like God punishing her. God just, you know, paying everything back on her. So that's why she was like, forgive me, forgive me, screaming it out. So we got to minister to her. She got healed. She was so light. It was an amazing time. And the last ministry, so uh, the prayer meeting was supposed to be the last one. But Pastor Donna she was supposed to speak at this woman's fellowship, and she totally gave it to us. So we uh, kind of took on it, and then we went there. And uh, Sister Christina shared her testimony. It was a woman group, and she shared her testimony about uh, from rejection uh, to restoration, how God restored her, you know, memories. And it was really powerful, a powerful testimony. And Erin preached about intimacy and love uh, to the women, and we made an article, but. Uh, as soon as we made altar call, the open hearts and the atmosphere and everything, it just shut down. Literally, like, at a moment, it got shut down. And we just knew because no one would come out the altar except for one person, right? And later, Donna uh, said that they were totally able to relate to Erin's preaching and story, the content. 
But I don't know what it is. Like it could have been shame. It could have been condemnation. I don't know what that was. But it totally got you shut. And then that day, now I think about it. Matt was really sick all day. Uh, Aaron Samo was having crazy migraine all day. And there were like a demon possessed woman right in front uh, of, right there at the church. There was a um, mentally ill woman there. And so a lot of different uh, distractions, I guess. And also, uh, when Aaron Samo was preaching, you know how the electronic fan on the wall, it started to make crazy noise. Like, yeah, remember that? <laughs> it started making crazy noise out of nowhere. And then guess who was there? Castro ran. <laughs> and then <laughs> he turned it off. <laughs> we were like, oh, here's our angel. Right? And it was so funny. But oh, a lot of different attacks. And there was a crazy, ginormous cockroach flying around the room. And I'm not even kidding. It flew to my face. And... It literally like took off and it flew into my face. I never moved that swiftly in my life before. Like I literally like, (sighs) anyways, it was a crazy attack night. So we pushed through. What we learned was we pushed through. And it's not about the team because when we went to Myanmar, we had a really similar service. Even though the anointing and fire was falling every single service at this particular church, it was shut down and we couldn't figure out what. And we just pushed through, right? So I guess God just allows that here and there. So we just pushed through. I don't have answer about what happened, but praise God for what he did. So at that church, my prayer was this. Uh, another personal stuff, but I really wanted to see those mentally ill women to be healed of that disease. So you know how Pastor Christian always encourages you to have one disease that you really want to contend for? And for him, it's, uh, what is it? Lame walk, right? And then for me, it's uh, uh, mentally ill people getting healed of that, right? Coming back to their uh, sober mind. And... I was, as soon as I saw that woman, I, I started praying, God, I want to see that woman being free from that illness. And I was like, I was like so determined to see that, right? Lord, here's my chance. Like, let me see that happen. And then God, so at the end it didn't happen. So I was like, God, why didn't you do it? And uh, God was like, Myung-ho, are you compassion driven or passion driven? Like, that was pretty like, hook, you know? I was like, Myung-ha, are you love-driven or are you perform- performance-driven? I was like, are you wanting that to get a cool testimony to share, to brag about yourself, or, or what? Like, is she a pro- project or is she your sister that you want to love on? Um, Jesus did a lot of miracles and signs and wonders, but he did it not to impress people, not to impress Bible readers, but he did it to love them. And so many times I think we read about Jesus' miracles and signs and wonders and we totally miss the point. We see the power, but we forget that. We miss that it's power of love, I guess. And I, I see power, but I miss love, you know. Jesus did it not to, you know, boast about his power, but he did it because he loved the people. And, yeah, and I was totally convicted by that. And... Yeah, and then the Bible says that the world will know that you are my disciple because of your love. And I totally agree. Not because of the works that we do, but because of the love that we carry. And it was such a basic lesson, but I just got to learn it again. 
and I could supply it to me. Oh, Lord, I forgot about compassion. I forgot about love. I totally looked at it as an opportunity to demonstrate your power, I guess. You know, and then there was totally love lacking. So it was another lesson. Um, that's like the gist of the trip. I basically shared uh, most of the things, but that's not it. But it was my personal story. If you ask me if I'm satisfied with this trip, I would probably say no. Um, of course not. So, but then if you ask me, will you be ever satisfied with mission trip? I will probably say no. That's true. So I have this holy dissatisfaction, holy discontentment or whatever. But I feel like God is saying there's nothing wrong about wanting more, wanting to see more, wanting to have more. But at the same time, uh, God is uh, speaking to me that you shouldn't make your praise for today for what I did in this trip any less. It shouldn't affect you in that way. you got to give me the fullness of praise to me and want more. So I just praise the Lord for what he did. It was a powerful trip, and our team was such a loving and encouraging team. And it was my honor to get to know all of you. And thank you so much, church, for praying for us. And we just sense your prayers. And, yeah, Jesus did it. So... And I know it's kind of late, but we usually end at 11, so we're going <laughs> to end a little earlier than usual. But I want to share a video clip that uh, Pastor Tarigan showed to us on the field, and it's about Muslims, how Muslims going to conquer the world very soon. And it kind of makes sense uh, unless we do something about it, right? So I just want to share this video clip with you all. We're going to take a short time to pray for uh, these people and the churches in Indonesia. All right, let's hit the light. For a culture to maintain itself for more than 25 years, there must be a fertility rate of 2.11 children per family. With anything less, the culture will decline. Historically, no culture has ever reversed a 1.9 fertility rate. A rate of 1.3, impossible to reverse. Because it would take 80 to 100 years to correct itself. And there is no economic model that can sustain a culture during that time. In other words, if two sets of parents each have one child, there are half as many children as parents. If those children have one child, then there are one-fourth as many grandchildren as grandparents. If only a million babies are born in 2006, it's hard to have two million adults enter the workforce in 2026. As the population shrinks, so does the culture. As of 2007, the fertility rate in France was 1.8, England 1.6, 
Greece, 1.3. Germany, 1.3. Italy, 1.2. Spain, 1.1. Across the entire European Union of 31 countries, the fertility is a mere 1.38. Historical research tells us these numbers are impossible to reverse. In a matter of years, Europe as we know it will cease to exist. Yet the population of Europe is not declining. Why? Immigration. Islamic immigration. Of all population growth in Europe since 1990, 90% has been Islamic immigration. France, 1.8 children per family. Muslims, 8.1. In southern France, traditionally one of the most populated church regions in the world, there are now more mosques than churches. 30% of children ages 20 and younger are Islamic. In the larger cities such as Nice, Marseille and Paris, that number has grown to 45%. By 2027, one in five Frenchmen will be Muslim. In just 39 years, France will be an Islamic Republic. In the last 30 years, the Muslim population of Great Britain rose from 82,000 to 2.5 million, a 30-fold increase. There are over 1,000 mosques, many of them former churches. In the Netherlands, 50% of all newborns are Muslim, and in only 15 years, half of the population of the Netherlands will be Muslim. In Russia, there are over 23 million Muslims. That's one out of five Russians. 40% of the entire Russian army will be Islamic in just a few short years. Currently in Belgium, 25% of the population and 50% of all newborns are Muslim. The government of Belgium has stated one-third of all European children will be born to Muslim families by 2025, just 17 years away. The German government, the first to talk about this publicly, recently released a statement saying, the fall in the German population can no longer be stopped. Its downward spiral is no longer reversible. It will be a Muslim state by the year 2050. Muammar al-Qaddafi of Libya said, There are signs that Allah will grant victory to Islam in Europe without swords, without guns, without conquest. We don't need terrorists. We don't need homicide bombers. The 50-plus million Muslims in Europe will turn it into a Muslim continent within a few decades. There are currently 52 million Muslims in Europe. The German government said that number is expected to double in the next 20 years to 104 million. Closer to home, the numbers tell a similar story. Right now, Canada's fertility rate is 1.6, nearly a full point below what is required to sustain a culture. And Islam is now the fastest growing religion. Between 2001 and 2006, Canada's population increased by 1.6 million, 1.2 of those immigration. In the United States, the current fertility rate of American citizens 
is 1.6. With the influx of the Latino nations, the rate increases to 2.11, the bare minimum required to sustain a culture. In 1970, there were 100,000 Muslims in America. Today, there are over 9 million. The world is changing. It's time to wake up. Three years ago, a meeting of 24 Islamic organizations was held in Chicago. The transcripts of that meeting showed in detail their plans to evangelize America through journalism, politics, education, and more. They said, we must prepare ourselves for the reality that in 30 years, there will be 50 million Muslims living in America. The world that we live in is not the world in which our children and grandchildren will live. The Catholic Church recently reported that Islam has just surpassed their membership numbers. Some studies show that at Islam's current rate of growth, in five to seven years, it will be the dominant religion of the world. As believers, we call upon you to join the effort to share the gospel message with the changing world. This is a call to action. Scary video clip, huh? So when Pastor Darigan showed it, uh, showed it to the team, we were really shocked because we knew that Indonesia was one of the biggest Muslim countries. And I believe the solution is not making more children, you know? I don't think we can beat 8.1 children per family. But I believe the solution is <laughs> reaching out. The solution is reaching out. So the reason why we were sent to there was to build up the church there, to equip the church there. And then whenever I asked Pastor Darigan or Pastor Monika what to preach about, they always said, teach them about missions, teach them about reaching out. Because he said the culture there is to receive and receive and receive. And they don't know how to give. They don't know how to give, give away what they got. So I want us to take time to just pray for Indonesian churches. The solution is reaching out. Not us reaching out, but those people in those nations, they have to reach out to their own people, right? And then I believe there's a limitation in what we can do, but I believe the Indonesian people, they have, they have hope. because They know the language. They know the culture. So it's got to be them who reaches out to those Muslim people who are coming in and are already there. We see so many people covered up with the headdresses. We saw them everywhere. Uh, we saw, we heard the chanting, Muslim chanting everywhere. We saw the prayer looms in the, in the airports. And we just saw how Muslim religion is just changing and affecting and influencing the culture and nation so much. And we, yeah, gotta do something. And all we can do right now in this room is prayer. So I just want us to come in agreement on this for God to raise up the Church of Indonesia. Um, Muslim, People, they are not our enemies. They are our friends, you know. Jesus became friends first, and then he spoke life to them. So I just want us to uh, pray for the Church of Indonesia, Church of Indonesia to just rise up and to reach out to the people there, uh, to that many. But that's the only solution. So can you join me in prayer? Let's pray.